This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. It's about this time every year that a new crop of potential future architects are about to start their first year of architecture school, and they have questions. What do I need? Drawing supplies? Computer requirements? What about software and model making gear? Are there books I should already have? Well, get ready as we talk about everything you could possibly need in episode 106, Architecture School Equipment. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, Andrew and I are going to be talking about tools and kits and books and supplies and paper and glue and thingamabobs <laughs> and all the stuff you need in your bag when you start day one architecture school. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I do love these kind of episodes. I'm very nostalgic for these episodes. Yeah, it's funny. I've put together this list for my university for the past couple of years, and it's starting to change a little bit, and it's even different, of course, from when we were in school, for sure. Half of this stuff wasn't even there, but... You know what I needed? Yeah. So, day one, they didn't tell you ahead of time, right? Yeah. There was an email. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. They didn't mail you a letter and say, bring all this stuff. Yeah, so what we got is we'd show up and they'd give you a list, and I went to UT, and we had a co-op where all this stuff and supplies would be made available to you. They had this thing put together called Mr. Kit. <laughs> and Mr. Kit was basically like you could get a T-square. It had the orange triangles, a racer shield, like all that kind of generic like hand drafting supplies that you needed. And it was $99. Wow. Yep. That's probably a pretty good deal. I still have almost all of those things somewhere archived. Nice. <laughs> in a box in my garage, most likely. Yeah. I had a whole bunch of that stuff, and I gave it away to some students. I wish I hadn't now, because some of it I actually had to rebuy, but I gave it away to some, some poor architecture students, I don't know, when I was in my early 30s, because I was like, man, I'm never going to use this stuff again. And I didn't want it then either, but now the older I get, I'm like, man, I wish I had that stuff. Yeah. It's like antique stuff now. It's like, I'm showing my students, look, this is what it used to be. Like compasses and yeah. French curves. and mm -hmm. I don't really have that stuff still. What I have are a lot of scales. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them. Me too. I've got tons. Different sizes, different shapes, materials. I have a bunch. You know what? Here's the thing. If you knew me in school and you're like, that's where my scale went. Look <laughs> me up. I'll give it back to you. All right. But I will tell you. That's funny. I have like two scales. One my dad gave me and one I bought. But I currently have in my possession like 40. That is funny. And I don't know where they came from. No one ever came looking for them. It just happens that way sometimes, I guess, huh? I don't think I've got sticky fingers. I didn't go around snatching them up. Yeah. But I have them. Somebody left them at your desk and they just never came back. Yeah. You're like, well, okay. End of the semester. It all goes in my box and that's it. It's all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I didn't ever go steal one that I'm aware of, but... <laughs> It's like they just multiplied sitting yeah. in the box. It's like I put three in a box and I open the box up four years later and there's 20 in there. There's like rabbits in there. Just yes. <laughs> yes. That's funny. So let's start as we begin this journey. And while you, the listeners, made up of probably two major demographics, one is actually the people who are in school that are like, yeah, I need to know what kind of computer I should get. There's those people. And then there's the people that are probably closer or somewhere within a decade or two of Andrew and I who will listen to this. And be a little nostalgic for some of the things that we put on the list, but also uh, like, wow, people don't even use the stuff that I used to use. Yeah. Right? Exactly. That's what I'm expecting. 
We also need to concede right out of the gate that every architecture school is a little bit different with the exact supplies that they require. Keyword being require here. Require. Yeah, yeah. You know, the truth is, is I'm not worried about whatever fill-in-the-blank school is requiring of you because they will tell you that. So when you get that list, go get those things. There might be things that we will duplicate that'll be on this list, but the list we've put together is really the things that you're going to think that you need that they may not tell you right out of the gate that you need. We're giving you insider tips to get ahead of the curve. Yeah. Also, to me, it was stuff that I'm almost certain everyone will ask you to have. There may be other things that aren't on here that are much more specific to each individual school, but I'm certain most of them will ask you to have this stuff for sure. Well, so we have different takes on it. So Andrew put together these talking points and I'm looking at it and I go, yeah, okay, I needed that. I didn't need that. Didn't ask for that. They didn't ask us for that. Didn't need that. Oh, really? Didn't do that. Yeah. Wow. Huh. All right. Well, that's what'll make this a talking point, right? Interesting. Yeah. So. Well, I'm not right. sure I had all this stuff either, but I just know this is what I put together for current stuff. So anyway. Well, you have a list of books on here, right? There's no books. Yeah. That was just us. Yeah. I mean, I was assuming that was us to give some, some wise old man advice about these are the things you should have. Yes. Well, there there are. Well, we'll get to that. We'll save the for the books book talk for yep, book section. Yeah. All right. Sure. So let's just cannonball into this. All right, and talk about drawing supplies first. Mm-hmm. So we have sketchbook on the list. I think that's a definite. Yeah. Well, okay. So here I wonder about that. Do people even sketch in sketchbooks anymore, or is it just like a bound notebook for you to take notes and doodle in? Maybe it's both or it's all. I mean, I think it's for everything. I, I like to try to make my students carry one. It's not the same size of sketchbook that I would have. Maybe even just a little eight and a half by five and a half. Mm-hmm. It's something that if they're in another class and inspiration strikes, they can sketch something out in a notebook and keep working through it. I mean, some of them, I think, have the same sketchbook for all four years. Whereas when I was in school, I got a new sketchbook every semester. Yeah, for sure. I still think it's important to have because... Yeah. If you're taking notes or if you're doodling, but if ideas strike, you want to have something to be able to get it down on paper. Well, I agree with that. I'm not sure how much of my agreeing has to do with the moment inspiration strikes. Yeah. But I do try to encourage people to get a notebook, dedicate it to a semester, write down whatever you want in it. Mm-hmm. Take your notes, do your doodles, do your whatever it is, sure. because you will want to look at that later. I guarantee it. And it's a useful tool and it's easy and it's portable. The other thing that I used to use for my non-architecture classes, mm-hmm. because I use sketchbooks more now. Well, technically, I use them even less now since I've been using my iPad so much. Yeah, yeah. But for 20 plus years, I've been using sketchbooks. I got a closet full of them. I have a million of them. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't use them in other classes. I used to go buy those hard-bound composition notebooks mm-hmm. is what I would use. And I would dedicate one to class. And so I have like an archive of all the stuff from all my classes that I ever have. It's still, it's kind of cool to look at, quite honestly. So, but yeah, sketchbook's on the list because it, it has value. Whether or not you use it, it's a learning process. You either will teach yourself to use it or you won't. Yeah, I agree. It's not that it doesn't have value. You give it that value. Yeah, when I was in school, they required us not to sketchbooks, but like it's a hardbound black book that just had empty pages in it. And it was an eight and a half by 11. Yep. Big honking thing. It was heavy. Yeah, that's what I used too back then, but now I, I use the Kaher Moleskine. Yeah, the smaller things, the lighter things. Moleskine. Yeah. Yeah. More paperback versions because they're just easier to deal with. I agree. I use those and they're lighter. Yeah. So the other thing 
obviously what would follow that in this particular case is like an ink pen set. And I know that when you put this on here, you're not talking about technical pens that you fill with ink from a bottle. Yeah, like Koinors or any of that kind of stuff. You're just talking about pen weight pens. Like a Statler set that's got a couple of different pen weights in it, right? That's what I mean. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think I would say, yeah, obviously I'm a big fan of pen weight. I think you got to learn how to use pen weight. True. And I think that's something that people are going right into school for the very beginning. They don't know yet. They don't know the power of profile lines and, sure. <laughs> you know, hatch pen weight, like those kind of things. But having a couple pens, it only has to be like two or three. Be whatever you want. Yeah, I was like three is enough. More than enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to that end, pencils kind of fit into that because some people like working with pencils mm-hmm. in the beginning because it's less scary. It's less permanent. Like if you really botch something, you can erase it. Yeah, exactly. I've always been more of an ink person. I look back at sketches that I did when I was in like junior high and high school and stuff because I still have some of those and they're all ink. I don't know. I just, I've always liked ink for some reason. You know, maybe it should be an Instagram poll that we put out there, but it seems like all architects, once you get into school and you start sketching or recording your ideas, nobody uses pencil. Yeah. Because it smudges. It doesn't hold up. You can't, I don't know. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I'll mark over something or I'll just start a new one if I messed up. Yeah, I guess there's the permanence of ink is more appealing for some reason, even though you make mistakes and you have to do things over. Yeah, it's intimidating to sketch in ink. Yeah, so from the get-go, sure. Right out of the gate. But I mean, I think the pen set is just so you can get used to it. You know, in most of my first-year classes, we talk about pen weight and line weight. And so if you don't have the tools to practice it, you're not going to get any better at it. So... Yeah. Practice is key to getting better at anything. Yeah. We also have a color set on here, which that could be colored pencils, that could be markers, that could be watercolors, that could be... Yeah, Prismacolors, anything, something. Yeah. You're just looking to put some color on the page. To me, that's something some schools may not require that, but I just feel like it's also nice to be able to have that to make some things pop. Or if you're doing diagrams, you can do something in one color and then diagram over it in another color or whatever. But just to be able to have the option. Yeah. Even if that's two or three colors, you don't have to buy the giant 78 pack of Prisma markers or whatever. Right. All right. You have on your list a small drawing triangle. Yeah. Not only would I not have put that on my list, I've Uh, never owned a small drawing triangle. Interesting. I mean, I used a lettering triangle when I used to letter by hand. Yeah. Yeah. But I never, ever used a triangle to draw. Interesting. I mean, not draft, but like in a sketchbook. Yeah. No, never. Interesting. Never used one. Yeah. I mean, I like one that, I could, that fits in my sketchbook. So it's only like six inches. It's like a 30, 60, 90 that the long side is six inches. So it's pretty small, but just so I could draw. But that may be because I'm not good at drawing straight lines. <laughs> well, there you go. So I use it for that. Maybe that's why. And again, maybe that was not 100% necessary. But this is just be my, it helps you. Well, it's one of those things, you know, you kind of bake it into your process through just doing it. Yeah. If you don't do it, it won't be your process. But if you do it, then you'll see the value. You'll find the value in it for yourself. So That's true. Last one on our list, trace paper. Mm-hmm. Here's something. This is a little insider tip. I mean, I don't know how much people use trace paper now. Anyway, we used to use trace paper because we literally traced over things. It was iterative. Yeah. And I don't know that people work that way anymore, quite honestly. I do. And even with the software I use on the iPad, I build things up in layer. It's just that's what I do. It's not super expensive. Like for a roll of paper, it's not very expensive. You can kind of get a lot for your money. Mm -hmm. But I've found 
that if you're just looking for paper and you're looking for that stream of consciousness roll where you don't have to take like yeah. a piece of notebook paper kind of size and work on it and then move, get another one, but you just want to just keep dragging the paper out as you sketch out ideas, mm-hmm. go to Home Depot, go to the paint section, buy a roll of craft, craft paper, masking paper. Because yeah. it's like 8,000 yards for $4. It is not expensive. And it's still pretty thin. I feel like sometimes you got to be careful. Sometimes that stuff is waxy. Yeah, you'll be able to tell. You have to watch. You'll yeah. be able to tell. Like if you pick it up, if they're like, this is 100 yards and you pick it up and it's not that heavy, you're going to know it's not waxy. Yeah. So I have one and it's not waxy at all. And I was like, would have liked to have known this when I was going through like two or three of these rolls a month. Yeah. So, all right. And again, I think it's useful. The funny thing I find is that sometimes my students don't have it, but I come to class every day with a roll of trace under my arm. Yeah. And my students will take it, you know, borrow a piece, rip off (laughs) some pieces. If I put it and start writing over their stuff, they want to take that with them. So they want it. It's like they just don't think enough to buy it or bring it with them. I mean, some do, but some of them don't. The majority of them don't. But then they're like, oh, can I I have some of that? I want to do it. And I'm like, see, it's useful. Maybe you need to do like what certain high school teachers could get away with. You know, they would. I remember we had a chemistry class and the teacher was also the film club teacher. Mm-hmm. And to support the film club, he would sell snacks in his classroom. <laughs> yeah. So you could buy a bag of chips for a dollar. Yeah. Now I look back and I go, did he just freelance this all the time? Or like, did the school approve? How does this work? Yeah. And yeah. I go, maybe Professor Hawkins should show up with five or six rolls and go, all right, they're $10 a roll. Right? And they're like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. I can't do that though. It says it in like the faculty handbook that you can't do stuff like that. <sighs> what if you step off the campus grounds? Yeah, I'm sure. Mm, right. Loophole. I know. <laughs> okay. So those are the high level drawing supplies that I think that if you get those things, you're going to use them eventually. Even if you don't use it day one, you will use every single one of the things on that list, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of anything else. I think I know I had some blank spots, but I can't think of anything else that's really that critical, right? Mm-mm. I mean, you know, we still ask for things like a eraser and eraser shields and things like that, but I don't know how often people use them. So it's like, eh. I think if you're not drafting. Yeah. If all of a sudden, if you said, hey, we're drafting and we could talk about, hey, Mayline was the line or putting a sheet of Borco down or like, oh, there's all these things that you could do, but people don't draft like that anymore. So I think yeah. all of this is portable in a way that makes sense because you can bring it to the class and you can bring it back to your apartment or your dorm room and still use it and still... Continue the drawing party. Yeah, it's true. Which, when you have a drafting table with all that other stuff on it, you're committing yourself to working in the classroom all the time. Yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. You're not toting that back and forth on the bus or to your car or whatever. All right, so let's go to the next section of supplies, which is model making supplies. Which, again, this list could get crazy big if you wanted it to. Sure. but And it probably would be for specific schools. But again, we're trying to keep it sort of high level. No matter what, you're going to use this thing. Yep. So one of the top we have on here is an X-Acto knife and blades. Yes. You're going to need it. For sure. And I will tell you, you're going to need the number 11 blade. That's the blade. Exactly. Yeah. And now the thing, there's, I always get a number two sized X-Acto because it's fatter, mm. like the holder itself. They make some that are really thin like pencils and then they make another one that's a little bit fatter. And since I got big gorilla hands, I like to have one that's a little bit fatter than a pencil. To still do that precision work with. But yeah, the blade is always the same. Yeah. And people, let me tell you right now, go ahead and just pony up for the box of 100 blades. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. You know. The thing about that is you'll still use that if 
I have students that use that on their 3D models. You'll use it to clean up all the mm-hmm. the holdups and the standoffs and stuff that aren't part of your model. I mean, you'll use it to clean up everything. It's not just making physical models. There's all kinds of model making stuff you're going to use that for. Well, you know what? I don't really make models anymore. Yeah. Like in the sense that I did when I was in school. Sure. But I still use an X-Acto knife all the time because anything that's normal person would use scissors for, I use an X-Acto knife. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. I'm faster and it's better. It's just yeah. the only bog down is is they're like, scissors are in the drawer in the kitchen. I go, well, I got to go out in the garage and pull out my exacto knife yeah. kind of thing. You just don't carry it in your pocket. <laughs> I don't carry it around in my pocket. And everybody learns the trip that when you use it, you unscrew it, turn the blade around, screw it back yeah. in so you don't like slice it. Stab yourself, yeah. But that's one of those things like all sharp knives. You get better models when you're using a sharp knife and you're less likely for it to skip oh, yeah. when you're cutting if you keep it sharp. And you'll know exactly the moment I'm talking about. Everyone who's been through this will know. You hear that little teeny tiny snap and the point. Just broke off. Just a very small piece of the point will break off. And it's not as good anymore. When I was making my final models, I might change my blade every 10 minutes. Yeah. I would go through a lot of them. Yeah. My first year instructor was like, you make five cuts and you throw it away. And I was like, well, that's that's a little much, man. Yeah. But you could tell, though, because we would use museum bar, like white paper. And so mm-hmm. as soon as you started making a cut and it wasn't clean and you'd get that little like paper ball burr thing that comes with it. That kind of fuzzy. Yep. yep. You're, like, you're like, that's it. Now it's too late. Got to move on. Got to move on. Yeah. Well, you also need a box cutter. Even though, you know what? I made it through school never having used a box cutter. Really? Yeah. You know, and even the interns we have to the office now, you know what they like? They like the snap off blades. Well, that's what I'm talking about, but it's not an exacto, but it's more of a, it's a bigger, yeah, bigger blade thing. I mean, I'm calling it a box cutter. It doesn't have to be that big of a thing, but yeah, I like the ones that are bigger where it's just the snap off stuff. Yeah. It's another knife that's a little bit, got a little more oomph to it. That can cut bigger stuff and cut giant pieces of cardboard or whatever yeah. with it, right? Yeah. You're using your hand to hold it, not your fingers. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's because you're cutting through something with a little bit of meat to it. It's those rougher, sort of more brutal cuts in the beginning. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't cut a straight line with it, but you can't do the delicate work with those things. Yeah. I made it through six years of college, never having used one of those. So, Mm. but the people in my office now, that's their default. Like I bet half the interns, they don't even use an X-Acto knife. Exacto. They use this kind of, it's much smaller. And the thing is, is with the snap off blades, they don't have to replace the bait. They just kind of break the tip off. The tip off. And go to the next piece. So I can see it. You know, I just. Yeah. It wasn't part of my workflow. My only problem with those is the angle of those blades, though, are not, you can't get as precise because it doesn't come to that same kind of point, right? Those are like. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a much flatter, it doesn't make any sense, but it's a much flatter blade than an exacto that's a very sharp point. Yes. So you can't do the same delicate, intricate work with those things that you can with an exacto. You're doing triage with a box knife and you're doing like. Surgery. Material <laughs> replacement yeah, <exactly>. with a. <laughs> yeah, brain surgery with an exacto. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Okay, so the next we have on the list, I'm going to flip it. Oh, okay. I'm going to put a big cutting board next. Mat, yeah, big cutting mat, yeah. Yeah, but see, I said board for a reason. Okay. I never used a mat. Oh, really? I used a board. Yeah, so I would end up buying, they had heavy gauge chipboard. Oh. And it was like, it's thick as like, if you put four pieces of chipboard together. Yeah, it's like a quarter inch piece or something thick. Yeah. Yeah. It was inexpensive. And so I would buy that to protect. So since I went to a bougie school, apparently, we all had two desks. So I had my desk that was a drafting table desk. Sure. 
And then I had another table that was meant to be a drafting table, but everyone used their second desk as a model desk. Yeah. And so I would just tape down this giant piece of heavy-duty chipboard, and that's what I would cut on for the semester. Mm -hmm. And it's thick enough to where it lasted the entire semester. Sure. But the point is still, you're going to want a, a mat or board to cut on. The mats are nice because they're self-healing, almost all of them. They'll last you a lifetime. Yeah. You buy it once, and you got it for forever. Yeah, I've never met anyone who had to go, well, I wore out this cutting mat. Like, that never happens. Yeah. And you can buy big ones, and they, they're a little bit grippy. Yeah. They kind of got like a rubberized surface, so mm. it's not slippery. Yeah. That's a nice... And it's got scales on it, too, so you can... Yeah, usually there's like a grid on it, so you can kind of line things up and keep it straight. At our school, we re we require you to have one of those. Do you? Like a cutting mat, yeah. Do you have a size? Is it the 20-inch, or do you make them go bigger? They make them go bigger because they want yeah. you to cover your whole desk area. Since you only got one desk. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that you was bougie. I think it's just because it's old school. Like, because I might have two desks and my school wasn't bougie. It's just, it wasn't overcrowded like they are now. It's like, yeah. you just, all you need is a laptop. So you're not getting more than one desk. Back in our area, it was like, yeah, well, you need the space. It's spread out. Yeah. Okay. The last, and we're not including things like wire cutters and foam cutters. So there's a lot of things that we could put on the list that we're not doing that. Oh, sure. Yeah. These are rookie kind of stuff. But the other is glue. Mm -hmm. And I made this joke a few times on the site, probably on the podcast. And I know in my life thousands of times. <laughs> and I go, if there's one thing that an architect knows in those crises moments, those moments of crisis, it's what type of glue to use when you're gluing something together. Yeah. Right? There's different clues. When would you use rubber cement? When do you use hot glue gun? When do you use Elmer's glue? Like, yeah. I never use the tacky glue. I know it's on your list. I just always used Elmer's. And what I found is- Elmer's instead. Don't use too much. That's the mistake that everybody makes. Like, you barely use any. Yeah. To me, it's the same stuff. And Elmer's glue is amazing. If it's not amazing, you're using it wrong. Yeah. So- For sure. White glue. That's Elmer's consistency. Tacky glue is fairly similar. I think it's supposed to be a little bit stronger, but I don't know that it makes that much difference. But it's thicker. It's definitely thicker. Yeah. Yeah. White glue that dries clear. Yeah. So the Elmer's, the craft, the white glue we're talking about, that's a must have because you can glue literally almost everything but paper together yeah. with white glue. Rubber cement. You need a spray adhesive. Rubber cement. Let's spray adhesive for that. Nah, too expensive. Nah. That's too expensive. Oh, come on. I don't got that kind of money. <sighs> Oh, my God. Okay. Your school must have been super bougie if people are going around with aerosol cans of adhesive. Yeah, we just do it right. I don't know. <laughs> I used to look at people who did use adhesive and go like, wow. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> wow, that's, that's so amazing. That's funny. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Never used it. After this, the thing I don't, we don't have on the list, but we should talk about, I think, is something to carry all this stuff in. Mm. Whether it's a pencil case for all your inks and stuff. I mean, when I was in school, I had a, like, I had a toolbox. Or not a toolbox. I say it was a tackle box. Like a fishing tackle box that I just put all this stuff in. And that way I could just close it all up. And I'd walk with my little tackle box full of architecture supplies. But not even many people do that anymore. But I feel like you should have something to carry all this stuff around. It just makes it easier. Wh whatever it is. Well, we got assigned a desk. This was my desk. And so... And I didn't work in my apartment because yeah. I needed a giant table. So I didn't have to move anything ever. I moved in and I moved out. Well, but at the end of the semester, yeah, it's all there and just uh, put in a paper bag. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. Apparently, I was at the bougie plate. My bougie of having a tackle box, but fine, whatever. 
Apparently, you don't need anything to put it in. Forget it. I'm just saying, no, no, your point is that nowadays people bring it and then they leave and they come. They're moving it between places constantly. Yeah, for sure. I rarely moved it because the thing is, I would just keep my desk populated until the next semester. Yeah. Like nobody needed my desk between when I stopped using it and when the next semester started, you would just take all your stuff out, put it in anything. And walk down the hall to the next desk. It wasn't a thing. Oh. You didn't need it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. At the end of every semester, I had to take all my stuff home. No, we didn't have to do that. Really? Mm-hmm. We had to empty the studio. You took everything out, you took it home, and then when you came back, you know, a month later from between fall and winter, then you brought back all your stuff because you were in a completely different space. Well, definitely over summer, people did. Yeah. Right? Because- there were summer studios. Sure. I wasn't in the summer studios, but yeah, yeah. like over Christmas break, a couple weeks, I mean, nobody really made us think about that. Interesting. They want my stuff to be empty. Did I ever tell you? So I had a, I'm going to call it what it is. And then some people would go, wow. Old. Okay. <laughs> so I had a jam box. Nice. And somebody stole my jam box. <sighs> all your stuff was sitting up there all the time. Sure. Yeah. All the time. It oh. wasn't like it was a nice one. Yeah. And we also had this rule. I tended to be the DJ in my studio, and we had a rule. If I played something you didn't like, you just say, I don't like it, and we put something else in. But it was one of the things I really liked doing. Sure. And so everyone was like more than happy to do it. Because otherwise, you were listening to like a Walkman with terrible headphones over your- It wasn't like the gear now. It wasn't that nice. So most people just listen to whatever was played. Hmm. So I would make all these mixtapes, and then I would play them. Oh, my God. And I made a mixtape, and then- my jam box got stolen, and I was so like worked out. I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe someone stole my forty dollars jam box." I found that jam box like three years later, and you know what my first thought was? Yeah, I found it like in another building. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like you misplaced it; you just actually found it again where somebody else left it. Yeah, like probably someone's like, "Oh, like he's not around." Sure. We'll borrow it, and we'll do what we're doing down in the basement of this building over here, which is where I found it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I was like. Is my mixtape still, mix still in there? I wanted the because I just made that mixtape. So that's so funny. You didn't put things like headphones and all that kind of stuff because everybody's got that stuff. But boy, having a jam box that was crucial. That's so funny because you didn't have to have batteries for it, so you could get your jam box, you could plug it in, and you could play all your tapes in it. That's too funny. We all had headphones. I could plug in headphones, yeah. and I frequently did put headphones in, and you would have the extender so that you could like move 10 feet away from your- Oh, yeah, man. When I was in grad school, I mean, this is, I guess, mid-late 90s, I had a 20-foot extension, <laughs> so I could walk anywhere around, pretty much, and build models. Again, I had multiple desks, and so I'd plug it in. It was either into my portable CD player- Oh, yeah. I had those. Or I had it plugged into my computer. I had a desktop that I used, and so- no computers. But I had a super long cord, so. Now people are like, what? What's a cord? What do you need? Though? Yeah, I know. What is that? Wireless earbud headphones with amazing. So it'd be so different. Noise canceling. Yeah. God, it would have been great. Except I could still get further away from where I was at. Grant, I guess you just keep your phone in your pocket. Sure. Look, I was thinking about, I got yet another pair of headphones. That's my thing, apparently. So I have to spend my money. Apparently. But these are in-ear buds. And I measured, I got almost 200 feet in my office, like away. I went all the way down the office, turned a corner, went down. I mean, I was literally on the other side of the building and my headphones were still working. From your phone? Yes. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. It worked great. Nobody cares about this. Nobody cares about it. Yep. I know. (laughs) All right. The next thing we have under supplies is we have books. You know, the truth is, is you're going to get a book list. 
your professors are going to give you a book list. And I know we had like Invisible Cities. We had Towards a New Architecture. We had Mothers. I mean, there's a bunch of them that we have. Yeah. Do you have to have those? Not necessarily. Your professor will tell you what it is. So these are more like, these are nice to have books at some point. And you have a couple of Frank Ching books on here, Form, Space, and Order, which I got. I have that book. I got it when I was in school. Same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Architectural Graphics. I did not have one of those till I got out of school. Really? But I have a couple. I have like three. I know you collect them. You yeah. Have, you're trying to get all of them. Well, no, that's a, the architectural graphics is a, still a Ching book, though. Oh, not standards. That's not right. standards, yeah. It's a Ching book. Yeah. I probably have about five Frank Ching books. Yeah. They're all great. They're all great. The books that I put on here are really because I think I think they're useful to actually have the book. Because nowadays, most of the readings that we give students are digital. We don't require my students to buy any books anymore. Yeah. They can get it digitally or check it out from the library digitally, you know, like you're talking about Invisible City and those kinds of things. To me, the books you should have are more like reference books. Yeah, I agree. So that you can look stuff up and use it as opposed to trying to find stuff on the internet. You don't know where it's at. And most of these books are well organized and they have the information you need for school to just go look something up and you don't have to Google the world. Look, I'm telling you, the number of emails I get from people saying, yeah. what book should I get? What It's probably... Three to X over anything I get now. They're like, I want to know about this. What books are good? Yeah. So like all these kind of graphic standard type books, like how to draw, like how can I make my drawings look better? Those are mm -hmm. always winners. And Frank Ching's literally like the man. Yes. And, you know, and then I like, I actually think our graphic standards are really good because it's like, if you need to know how big a basketball court is, like, where do you find that out? Sure. Yeah. All that stuff, like literally all the stuff. So I have a couple of graphic standards books, but I also have an interior design graphic standard book that I use all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So if I'm like, I don't need to know how big of a banquet is, or if I'm going to do a restaurant layout, I need to know if I put a four top, how big is my table and how close do I put it next to this other? Next to the other table. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good books, right? And the, what is it that? I never know how to say it. The Newforts? Yeah, Newforts. Newforts data. But those are expensive yeah, is, books. But That's the European graphic. Yeah, but it's a good book too. Okay, so I did not put any specific – because, you know, you have one, I have one. I have a running list of books that I think this is what current book I'm getting. Sure, yeah. I do too. You know, but I think books that are worth having are the books that are worth keeping. And they may sound stupid, but let me explain it. Invisible City, that was a good book. I read it. I've never picked that book up again, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not something I reread all the time Yeah, or go back to. So those kind of books are not the books that I push people towards. So if people want a book, I kind of go, oh, we know this is a good book because it has details in it or it has really good plans. There's something you can extrapolate from it that will allow you to put it on your shelf and go back to it, even if it's 10 years later. Mm -hmm. So that's what all the kind of books I have, the history books and their standards books and their inspirational type books. They're not manifestos, right? They're not white papers. Yeah. There's not a lot of text that is mandatory that you read to get something from it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have those books, you know, I have them, but you're coming in architect school. Those are not the books I'd push your way. Yeah, I would agree. And that's what I would say too. That's what I try to put on here is the stuff that you're going to keep going back to over and over. And those are typically reference books. I mean, we buy architecture books of by architects or about architects, but those are sort of inspirational or architects that really like all their work. And I don't know that I go back to those a lot, but that's a different sort of, this is why I want to keep these books. The other books, I think, like again, almost any book by Francis Ching is a great book. Another one that I put on here, it's a book called Precedence in Architecture by Roger Clark. 
and we'll put a link to it in the show, but, and it breaks down, I can't remember, like 50 different projects and like all these very simple diagrammatic things that I think it's really important as an architecture student to understand. It gives you the part T, it gives you the structural grid, it gives you the circulation, like all these little bitty diagrams to help you understand the way more famous buildings work so that you can then understand how your own projects start to work and, and think about things differently. It's like a paperback book and it's 40, 50 bucks, but I think it's a good reference book to say, oh, here's how these things work. Sounds like a good one. Yeah. I actually don't have that book, and that sounds like a book that would be fun to have. I've got like several copies. You know, one of the books that, one of the Frank Ching books that I have that yeah. I think everybody should have is The Dictionary. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. That one specifically, not that you need to learn how to speak like an architect, because we make a lot of jokes about how yeah. pedantic architects can be yes. in the words that they choose and their very insider lingo jargon. Yes. Well, part of the reason we use those words is because they have a very specific meaning to them. Sure. And it would help if you knew what that meant in the context of your industry and when you're talking in school. And they're good to have. And the Frank Ching one's really great because it actually shows you a lot of pictures of what it is. It helps you kind of understand. Yeah, to help you understand it, not just the words. Yeah. So the other good graphic book I have on there is Architectural Drawing by Rindao Yi. It's another Ching like book, but it's a different, in some ways, it's better than. The Ching book on architectural graphics. The two of them combined is like, you got everything covered. You'd be unstoppable. Exactly. If you have those two books, <laughs> you're set, man. Yeah, you're keeping forever. Yes. All right. So let's get on the last item we have that's under section A of supplies, which is time management supplies. And I thought this was interesting that you added this category to the conversation. Yeah. Because I can tell you then. I didn't use any kind of time management. Anything. No. Yeah, I'm sure. No. And I didn't either. I mean, I didn't either. That's, but. Look, I can tell you that had I had the discipline to use something, it would have benefited me. It would have mm -hmm. been in my long-term best interest. I know. So, obviously, you can get paper planners. And I had versions of paper planners that I made myself, and they tended to be my sketchbook, and it was really kind of a. Yeah, for sure. Let me do a little sit down, wear things out moment, not something I didn't ever really return back to it with frequency. I didn't have like a month look ahead. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have any of that. So I don't know if you have a paper planner that you like or that you use, but I do have a couple that are digital that I love and I use them all the time now. Well, yeah, as I say, mine are more digital as well. I'm like you. If I do any kind of paper planning, it's something I make my own. Yeah. I'll take it and draw it in my sketchbook and that's when that little... Handy dandy straight line comes in handy because <laughs> I can grid something out real quick. But all that stuff, I kind of make up my own. As an architect, right, I've never been thrilled with the stuff you can buy off the shelf. It doesn't quite fit my needs. It's not quite organized the way I want, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. You know what? I tried a couple and they looked great and people were like, ooh. And I was like, mm hmm But it didn't work the way I wanted it. And I was like, blah. I know. You know yeah. I, I know. didn't use it. Didn't use it. I just think we're too particular. So make your own, but it's still useful. Okay, well, speaking of particular, let me tell you what I've been using digitally before you go. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Because you might have loads, and I only have this one, basically. Well, that's fine. So, and actually, we got this from our buddy Eric Reinhold, because this is what he was talking about once I checked it out, and I was like, ooh, I like it. Hmm. And it was from Moleskin, Moleskine, and it's Time Page is one of them, and Actions is the other. Okay. And the thing that I like about it is the Time Page one actually pulls in all my calendars. I can sync in all my calendars. So at a glance, I can see Life of an Architect calendar. I can see Boca Powell calendar. I can see Borson Family calendar. I can see yeah whatever calendars I have all in one place. And it's really nice. 
but I can use it in concert with an app that they use called Actions, which also has a schedule to it as opposed to a calendar. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is I can then assign a color. I can set up a project very easily. I can create these lists of things that I need to get done. Mm -hmm. And I can set dates and times to them and I can color code them. So I can say, oh, the Borson residence and I can make it red. Yeah. And that means every time I do an entry to a task that needs to be done for the Borson residence, it shows up as red. And if I say it needs to be done by next Wednesday, blah, blah, blah date, I can assign that as a date and it will put it on my calendar, but not actually insert it in my calendar. I don't want my calendar to be clogged with 8 billion entries. Full of junk. I've already got enough entries in my calendar. Got that. So I can come here and it'll remind me and I can also assign them to people. And and I will tell you, I get a little bit of a chuckle. So you know, I'm 54 years old now and I work with young folks a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're stressed. They got deadlines and like everyone's working hard, but they're working on like two jobs, three jobs. And I go, look, you need to figure out a method that works for you because ideally you're going to grow into a better version of me. And I have like 12 jobs right now. Projects that you're running. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't keep anything straight if I didn't write it down or do some type of organization to it. Mm-hmm. Did I do this? Did I do that? Which job was I supposed to do that for again? It would be a disaster if I didn't have something in place to help me keep track of everything I need to do. And I use those two. And part of the reason I like them is because they function the way that I want them to function. But graphically, they look great. Mm. Like they visually look really, really good. Mm-hmm. That's my recommendation. Both of them from Moleskine, Time Page and Actions. Those are the two. Yeah. You know, I did, I'm did. i sort of back and forth on this stuff. Of course, the one I usually use is defunct. But I've been using, it's called Todoist. I've been using that one a little bit lately. It's more of a task related. Does it change to Dedunist when you've completed the task? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no. But then I just started, I mean, like last week, started using this app called Notion. And I'm still trying to set it up. It may be too work related for a student, but. It's another one of those that I like because it's desktop and phone and tablet, like they all sync together, which to me is really important. But I'm just getting into it. The jury's still out on it yet, but it's looking pretty interesting at the moment. So, all right. Well, I mean, all we're doing is pointing people in a direction they can make the decision for themselves. Sure. Yeah. All right. So let's go to the next big subject, which was technology, which there's not a ton of moving parts. And I do get asked about, oh, I need to buy a computer. What do I need? I'm sure you get that a lot. I get it a lot. Yeah, of course. And my answer is always, buy the biggest, most powerful computer you can afford. Yeah. Whatever amount of money that you have to spend on it, spend all of it. Yes. Because it'll last longer. You don't want to buy one and, and you're like, oh, it works great for the first year and then I've run out of space or it's too slow. or Yeah. Right? So just go all in. Yeah. And the one thing I can say, I know I broke it down quite a bit and I can talk to it some, but again, this is because I helped build the requirements for our, our college. But I think some of it is totally what you're saying like whatever budget you got spend it all on that because it is really important mm-hmm. i think one of the major mistakes that a lot of the first year students make is they're like oh well the laptop i've been using for high school worked just fine and like they start trying to slug through photoshop and illustrator and sketchup and whatever other software that they're using and it's like oh my god my laptop's on fire you know it's smoking <laughs> or it's going so slow and it, it's not worth it so if you can spend it spend it i think to me there's like really three Big things as far as computer components, and one is the RAM, the memory. Mm-hmm. You want as much as that as you can get, at least 16 gigabytes. I would say 32. I wouldn't even mess with the 16. At a minimum. Yeah, but 32 is hard to find sometimes, and it also jacks up the price. But 
don't go for one of those eight gig machines. You'll hate yourself for forever. Mm-hmm. Graphics card. And the big thing there is that it's actually separate. It's not on board your motherboard. A lot of laptops, it's on board. So you want to make sure you get a separate graphics card that's got its own dedicated memory. Because again, when you're doing all this graphic work, that'll eat up your computer real quick. That's actually a good distinction. You need to get as much memory built into that graphics card as you can pull the trigger on. Yeah, as you can. Because again, that's another thing. Because that's most of the software that we use as architects or students, it's eating that memory up a lot. Especially when you start getting into renderings and things like that. And then, you know, the last thing is the main processor. That one's not super critical, but you want to get the best that you can. Number of processors and processing speed and all that kind of stuff. The memory, the RAM memory, and the graphics card are really the two big ones. And then the other thing, maybe you've got an opinion on this, is the screen size. Oh, yeah. Big, big opinion on that. Yeah. Like me, I don't work. I've never done work on a laptop other than emails and Word documents and stuff because there's not enough screen real estate. Even if I get a 17-inch screen, I can't stand it. So my option is get a smaller screen because you can get better RAM and all that kind of stuff for the same money. And if you have a separate monitor or something, you can use that. But your opinion may be different. So if someone asks me what size screen should I get, and I go, are you working on your laptop? I go, yeah. I go, 15. Yeah. 17 is nice because it's bigger. It's also bigger. Yeah. And you're toting around this behemoth. It's too hard to tote around. Mm. It doesn't fit in a normal bag that easy and all kinds of stuff. It's unpleasant. And I would say that for the cost of buying freestanding monitors, because you can get them and they're really not that expensive anymore. Yeah. A hundred bucks or less. So my own personal setup. So I have, you're a three monitor guy. Yes. I'm a two monitor guy. Yeah. But I have two monitors at my office. And I have two monitors at my desk in my house. Yeah. And I'm on a laptop and I'm on a good one. And I never use it just with the screen. Like I have a docking station. I use the docking station 100% of the time. Mm -hmm, Now, when I'm traveling for work, which I do quite a bit of, I've gotten to the point now to where I can do everything I do traveling on my iPad, Mm -hmm. which is even better. Andrew is with me. We're in Chicago and I'm pulling out my iPad and I'm marking up drawings for people back in the office and I'm sending emails and I'm writing I mean all this stuff and I can do it on my iPad I know which weighs a fraction of the yeah Andrew knows because he's laying in bed next to me because I'm going click 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 no I just know because I've been doing that for years telling you how great it is and then you finally butt in and like oh yeah I can do it all I know I mean some people want a 17 inch screen because they need the real estate but to me it's always such a pain it's just so terrible but I would never go smaller than a 15 15 to me is the sweet spot that's probably what you should get I mean, yeah, whatever, 14.75 is okay, but yeah, <laughs> right around there is good enough, especially if you're going to be working on it just by itself. My suggestion would be save 100 bucks and get you a 22-inch screen to go with it, and it'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah, a lot better. Well, I'll also tell you that I did the first 900 articles on the life of an Arctic website were done on a laptop sitting on my lap with a 15-inch screen. Yeah. That was all the graphics. I mean, you can make it work. Now, if I was drafting... That's what I'm saying. It's not good for Ooh. for doing that kind of stuff. That's why I don't. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, graphics and Photoshop and that kind of stuff, it's okay. But when you start doing drawings and building 3D models, I can't do it. It's too small. It's too small. Yeah. Can't see enough of the stuff. That's not because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I was in my 30s, I couldn't do it. It just didn't work. So Look, The amount of zooming in and zooming out. We used to have conversations in my office when I was much, much younger. I have fantastic eyesight from zero to like eight feet like spectacular mm-hmm. that's a weird flex but it nonetheless <laughs> <Sure>. but 
But we used to have conversations about how much more productive we would be if we had bigger monitors because the amount of zooming out and zooming in and all that kind of stuff, yeah. how much of that goes away if I could just see more of my drawing on the screen. More at a certain scale. Yeah, at the scale I wanted it to be. Yeah. So one of the things that we kind of put on the list, but it's put on a list like, should we even talk about it? And that was an iPad. And I was 100% convinced to say, no, we don't need to talk about it because as a person going in school, you don't need it. Honestly, you don't need it. No, you don't. If you have it, I think you can make use of it, but I don't think you need to buy it to buy it. You'd better off buying a laptop. Yeah. Yeah, because it will not replace your laptop. Mm -mm. And do you really want to be hauling two things around? Yeah. No, no, no. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. So another big item, and this is a big one, is backup drives. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because I was having a conversation yesterday with some really, really green young people in my office. Yeah. And we were talking about backing stuff up. And I was like, well, do you remember? Then I went, no, of course you don't remember. <laughs> but back in the AutoCAD days, when I was a machine at drafting, I'd say, you knew about the whole backup two times in a row trick, right? And they're like, no, what are you talking about? And I go, well, when you open up a file, it creates a backup file. And then I work, and then I hit save, and it replaces my active file with whatever that save is. Yeah. But if I have a crash and I have to restore a file, guess what file I'm restoring? The backup file. The backup file. Which could be eight hours old at this point. But if you do a backup, like if you do a save, two in a row, it replaces the backup with a fresh version. Yeah. So everyone in my world is used to like, you'd go five minutes, like you'd do control save, control save. Yeah. You would save your work constantly two times in a row. Mm -hmm. And I know you have your notes on here that it's all about the backup because there's always that moment of like, oh my God, I've lost everything. And it's like, well, how much damage have I done? Because how old is the backup that I have that I'm going to have to go restore to redo my work? Yep. That's the killer. So there's redundancies. The thing about backup drives is inherently they suggest it's a redundancy. Mm. You're backing up something from one spot and putting it on another. So if something happens to the first one, you get the second one. Yeah. Take it one step further and have two backups. Yes. That's what right? I say. One on the cloud and one on a thumb drive somewhere. I agree. Because you never know. And it, it's easy. And I can say at least once a semester, without fail, I have a student that loses their work the week before a final is due or it crashes and they lose their whole file or something gets corrupted or, you know, whatever. Every semester that happens, they don't have it backed up anywhere and they have to try to start over, start with something that's three weeks old mm. because that was the last time they had changed and saved a new version of that file. They have that old one that they hadn't updated. You just got to get in that habit. I got burnt once in my office when I owned my business and we lost a server. Oh, can you? I had to send it off and pay somebody to recover those files. Because it was the only one that was there. After that, man, nope. I mean, that was like a couple thousand dollars to get all that stuff restored. And like for me, I was like, mm-mm. So even everything in my house is backed up twice. <laughs> I've got so much redundant stuff everywhere. You know, I will tell you that I tend to back things up in two places, but they're normally two different cloud base. I don't put stuff on thumb drives. Mm. One, I don't want thumb drives all over the place. And half the time, I can't remember <laughs> what thumb drive has what. But I will tell you that there are times when I travel or if I'm giving a presentation, anything I know is like, this is valuable. And I need it if something goes terribly wrong, mm -hmm. then yeah, I will have redundant redundancies. Because then I'll say, I have something on my laptop. I have something on this thumb drive. I have something on the cloud. And it's always like, what if somebody smashes my computer? And I go, all right, well, 
they'll give me a computer or whatever. I can pull it down from the cloud. What if there's no cloud connectivity in the auditorium that I'm speaking to? Yeah, there's no internet. I have it on the thumb drive and I can plug it in. Just that kind of stuff. It's bush leagues to not be able to do whatever it is that you're obligated to do. Yeah. And these are not hard things to do. So backup drives are a big deal. Yeah. You know what? I actually, I don't know if I should say this. Not that someone's going to go steal the stuff, but my next door neighbor's professional photographer. He keeps one of his backup drives at my house. Mm -hmm. So he backs his stuff up once a month. He goes, hey, can I come get the drive? I go, sure. I have it hidden away so that if I ever get robbed, it's unlikely that they'll steal his backup drive because they'll never find it. Yeah. He backs up his computer and then brings it back. So he's got multiple things, and one of them is off-site, yeah. even though he has access to it. So if something goes wrong, he can just run next door and get it Yeah. if he can't get it off the cloud or somewhere else. And if his house burns down, right? Yeah, that's what it is. I have stuff in a firebox. So anyway, it's just important. It is. That was the thing. Have something. And again, you can get a one terabyte one even, you know, or a 512 megabyte one for a hundred bucks. Terabyte you can get for about a hundred bucks. You could use that through your whole school. Yeah. And you've got everything you've ever done and it's there. It's always there. Yep. Get it. All right. Look, we've been at this for, we'll say a long time. Yep. Because we don't know what's going to be when it gets edited. Sure. Long enough. We've been at it long enough. We've been at it plenty long. Yeah. So we've kind of hit the biggies. Really, it has to do with supplies, like physical supplies you need that allow you to venture forth in your architecture career. And then we give you some digital supplies that you need that are all useful. Agreed. I think that anybody will be well prepared with the things that we put on the list. Mm -hmm. But the thing that everybody really wants to know, you really want to be prepared, you need to know what today's question is going to be exactly for what's the rank what's the rank this is a good one so we're kicking off what's the rank i've come to the opinion that these all seem to be food because they're the most fun to do yes and we're in the midst of a terrible heat wave here in texas not even across the country almost yeah it's bad everywhere it's cooled down a little bit this week but yeah it's been bad been bad cooling down where i live is like 102 yeah. For our high. I know. I was happy the other day. I think we didn't reach 100 on like Saturday. But because it's been so hot here in Texas, we're going to rank top four ice cream flavors. <laughs> you know what? I'm not a dessert guy for the most part. Yeah. I mean, the people that know me, you know, I don't really eat a lot of, a lot of dessert. It's not my thing. Mm -hmm. I do like ice cream. <laughs> yeah. That's about the one dessert. That's a go-to for me. For me too. That's the one thing. I like cake every once in a while, but typically if there's ice cream, I'm good. I'll have ice cream, right? Yeah. I'm like, if there's pie, yeah. I'm like, where's the ice cream yeah. that goes on? Like, pie is not worth eating if there's not a scoop of ice cream on it. Yeah. All right. So this was actually Andrew's question, which means I'm obligated to go first. That's right. You got to do four. I know. I'm not sure if it's like whatever the number is. We always wish, ooh, if there's one more, it would be easier. Yeah. So four was like, ooh, if there were five, this would be a lot easier to do. So I had to come down to, I'm not saying there was a tie. I'm saying that when I filled up my slot, there were two that lived in the number four slot, and I was forced to coin flip to see which mm. one was going to make it. Okay. So number four for me was a coin toss between coffee ice cream. Oh, interesting. And homemade peach ice cream. Oh, wow. Okay. And- at the end of the day, peach one. Yeah. Because I will tell you, we get amazing peaches here. Mm. And so I don't eat peach ice cream very often. It's just there's a very small window of time when you would be driving down the highway and they're like, peach ice cream, like on the side of the road. Yeah. Because there's so many peaches that are becoming ripe. They're like, 
We can't sell enough fresh. We can't can them, preserve them, anything. We got to do something with them. Yeah. Everyone's trying to figure out how to use all these peaches and they make this ice cream. And it is staggeringly good. Mm. Like it's really good. If it was something that I would eat when it was cold, it probably would have been higher up on the list. But homemade, when I mean homemade, that means like churned, heavy, milk fat mm-hmm. ice cream, not sorbet, not any of that sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. Where this is the really unhealthy stuff. So <laughs> homemade peach ice cream, that's my number four. All right. All right. I think we're going to have varying, wildly different flavors here, I'm going to assume. but Yeah, I'm going to bet that yours are wacky. No, they're not, actually. They're okay. Okay. All right. Let's see. What's your number four? My number four is Rocky Road. Uh, wacky. Right out of the gate. That's a wacky one. <laughs> Why is it a wacky one? I don't think that's wacky. Because it's got like marshmallows and stuff in it. I know. That's what I like. Wacky. Chocolate. You know, Rocky Road. It's good. It's my number four. It's a bit. No. That's a bit. No, it's not. You know, it's possible I've never had Rocky Road ice cream in my life. Really? Man. I don't eat marshmallows. Oh, well, I liked them in there. I say, oh, I don't like all that stuff. <laughs> and then you're going to hear what I chose for number three. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, <laughs> let's go for it. All right, so this was also a coin flip between two. <laughs> okay. I don't know. This this is hard. This is hard for me. So it was between Haagen-Dazs Vanilla Swiss Almond. Mm, okay. And Ben and Jerry's Americone Dream. Mm. And so you can give me the business about how I call it Rocky Road as a bit because it has marshmallow and stuff because Americone is- Americone Dream, yeah. Yeah, it's vanilla ice cream with like fudge-covered waffle cone pieces and caramel. I mean- Yeah, it's like a whole bunch of junk in there. I know. Well, it's three. It's yeah, three things. Still. But on the Haagen-Dazs Vanilla Swiss Almond, you know, the almonds were covered in chocolate. Mm-hmm. I would eat maybe one out of every eight almonds and just spit the other ones out. Like, I didn't eat them. <laughs> the vanilla is so good. And I wanted just a little bit. That's so weird. Yeah, I just... So I decided that I should probably go with Americone Dream because I do eat all of that. All right. I don't spit out the fudge-colored cone pieces. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so that's my number three. All right, my number three is chocolate almond. So it's Rocky Road without the marshmallows. (laughs) (laughs) You're terrible at this. That's pretty much what it is. No, that's good. If I opened up my freezer right now, I have all four of these in my freezer. You're ridiculous. You know why? This is the thinking man's version of your choices so far. Your number four is Neapolitan. Number three is chocolate. Number two is strawberry. Number one's vanilla. (laughs) That's it. That's kind of the direction you're taking this. Yeah, sure, sure. Whatever. Go ahead. You're ridiculous. All right. Number two for me is strawberry, but not not the pink stuff. Yeah. It's vanilla ice cream with strawberries in it. It's terrific. You're like fruitopia over there. You want fruit in your ice cream, apparently. (laughs) You know what? And everything you have is just vanilla with something in it. So what? Vanilla with almonds or vanilla (laughs) with some waffle cones. So don't come at me. Don't come at me. No, that's true. Yours is just vanilla. Add something. I have vanilla with peach. I have vanilla with chocolate-covered almonds. I have vanilla with, with strawberries. strawberries in it. Yeah, okay. So, it's like, why? Oh. All right. All right. And now I'm going to have a, mine's vanilla, but it's it's cookies and cream. So, it's vanilla with Oreos in it. Oh, you know what? I forgot about cookies and cream. That's it's my so number good. two, cookies and cream, man. I can eat that like crazy. Mm, I do like cookies and cream. And I mean, I like all varieties of it, but like if you make some homemade stuff, oh, man, that's the best. I've never made homemade Cookies and cream. But just think of your fat, like super fat peach ice cream. But instead of peaches, it's Oreos. It's like, oh, I'll eat any kind of Oreos, like cookies and cream. That's, yeah. Well, as a case in point, last night I sent my daughter out. So I made dinner. Mm -hmm. We had a divide and conquer. (laughs) So I grilled chicken. Mm -hmm. My wife made corn. And my daughter said her contribution was she ate it. And I was like, no. Yeah, that doesn't work. I go, you're in charge of dessert. And she goes, I don't know that I want any dessert. And I go, that's got nothing to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. She goes, okay, well, what do you want? I go, I want you to go 
by custard. <laughs> so I sent my daughter like on a 20-minute errand yes. to go to a custard place. And get you a custard, bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm not going to eat any. And so my wife and I are like, whatever. <laughs> you're like, we don't care. You go get it. Yeah. So I, yeah, you're on yeah. deck. So I got a Oreo cookie custard. Yeah. My wife got like a chip one. My daughter came back. She's like, all right, I got something for myself. <laughs> she broke down. Yeah. Yeah. See? Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm perplexed because I probably should put that on my list, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to live with what I got. That's fine. Based on what I've answered so far, do you know what my number one is? No, I don't. Vanilla with fruit. That's all I got. It's just vanilla. Oh, really? Just vanilla? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so versatile. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> This is the worst. You've no, given me so much grief and you're, you're no different. No, no, no. My grief was you have all these bits. I'm like, you know what? Classics. Oh. And you know what my struggle was? Do I put homemade? Like, this was literally my brain this afternoon. I was like, ooh, do I do homemade vanilla or do I do a French vanilla? Or do I do vanilla bean vanilla? Oh, my God. It's so sad. That would have been worse, though, if your number four was French vanilla, number three was vanilla bean, number two was like something, and then you know what? almond, and then vanilla. It's a possibility. It, it could have been a possibility. Yeah. You're not that far off, my friend. You're not that far off. Let's I know. Let's be honest. I know. That's fine. I'll take it. I, I, look, I feel like I'm in a defensible position on my choices. All right. So what's your number one? Okay. So my number one is, it's got a couple of different names. The version I eat is called Cookies Over Texas, or it's Cookie Two-Step. So essentially, it's cookies and cream and cookie dough combined. Oh, God. And so it's cookies all in your vanilla ice cream, and it's the best. Uh, this sounds terrible. No, it's the best. Well, I guess Ben and Jerry's make one that's called Milk and Cookies that is really close to. It's essentially, it's a combination of cookie dough ice cream, which I don't like by itself. I would never eat cookie dough ice cream by itself. But Yeah, because that's crazy. Well, that sounds like it would be your bag. It's vanilla with something added to it. Ugh. But cookie dough and Oreos together for some reason, man. I just buy the ladle full. <laughs> nice. So that's my number one. Nice. Okay. You know what's funny? All right. So I want people to tell me just how. How vanilla your vanilla choices are. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Classics. So here's the thing that's interesting. So I basically listed six on my list, even though I chose a four and you chose four. Neither one of us had like chocolate ice cream on our list. Yeah, it's a plain one. I mean, the closest I get is chocolate almond. It is. Okay, so chocolate almond is what? Is it chocolate ice cream with almonds in it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, then that counts. I was thinking like the almonds were chocolate. No, no, no. It's just- And it was similar to my Haagen-Dazs vanilla Swiss almond. No, no, no. It's just chocolate ice cream with almonds in it. That's pretty chocolate. That's pretty run of the meal. All right. I want people to weigh in. I feel so confident that I destroyed you with my top four. Oh, my God. I feel like, man, easy. Yours are all vanilla base. At least mine have two chocolate base and two vanilla base. I could have gone with coffee and Americone. Yeah. It's got all that other stuff in it. But it's vanilla base, right? Yeah. All right. It's fine. Yeah. It's uh -huh. fine. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'll live. And you said all that other stuff. When I said it was a bunch, you're like, it's only three things. And now you're like, oh, it's a whole bunch of stuff. No. Yeah. Fudge covered waffle cone pieces with a caramel swirl. Yeah. So some caramel and then- The swirl. Essentially a cone. And the swirl. That counts. <laughs> Okay, look, that's done. We're done. Yes. <laughs> now I want ice cream, though, because it's hot. That's what I want. All right. So we're going to call it wraps on episode 106, Architecture School Equipment. Special thanks to our media sponsors, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. 
Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish a fresh and clean new episode. While you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star. Shopping for school supplies is terrific rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this illuminating episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.